0: Thank you, Daisy. Thank you, Daisy. And I I feel I'm feeling in the room that actually, people what people really want perhaps is a lecture on the backstop. and the Attorney General's many advices. But I'm not going to do that. I'm going to talk about my friend, Ahmed Altan. I met Ahmed Altan for the first time in the spring of 2014. It was in Istanbul. The city is a place that's long been very special to me. It's the place where I first went on a holiday 30 years ago drinking mint tea at a small cafe at the Ortakoy Mosque in the shadow of the Bosphorus Bridge with the woman that I would later like marry and 5 years ago Ahmet Altan was there in Istanbul and I met him when he delivered a big public lecture an annual event organized by a press freedom group called P24 to honor the memory of a renowned Turkish journalist who had died a year earlier. I really liked Ahmed's lecture and I really liked him. He was fearless. He spoke with passion, with courage, with intelligence and with great humour about the writer's place in a decent society. And we became friends and we stayed in close contact. In fact, in 2007, he helped organise a trip that I made with a group of colleagues and friends to do a performance with music of East West Street. There was a moment, you know, some of you, that book deals with something called genocide. And I asked Ahmed, could I speak about what happened to the Armenians here in Istanbul? A very delicate subject. He said, I will tell you off if you do not speak about the Armenian genocide. And in Istanbul, that is a courageous thing to say. That is Ahmed, honest, open, principled, and fearless. Last year, four years after I first met Ahmed, the spring of 2018, I was invited to give the same annual lecture in the very same building, the rather splendid 19th-century pile that is the Swedish consulate general on the European side of Istanbul. Ahmed, of course, was invited as the guest of honor, but he could not attend. The reason he could not attend was that by then he had been in prison for 590 days. What was his crime? Ahmed's crime was that he spoke four words on a television program in the aftermath of the failed coup in 2016. Those words were interpreted by the Turkish president, Erdogan, and his government As being treasonous. President Erdogan's crackdown left Turkey languishing right at the bottom of the list of countries in Reporters Without Borders World Press Freedom Index, number 157 out of 180. The situation was bad and it was getting worse. The economy was now suffering. The atmosphere at the Swedish consulate last year, frankly, was grim. But the hall was crowded with writers and journalists who were waiting to be in prison. Murat Sabunko, the fabulous editor-in-chief of the Cumhuriyet newspaper, who was sentenced in April 2018 to seven and a half years in prison on terror charges but released, released pending... His appeal introduced the proceedings and he gave an incredibly powerful speech, a salute to the hundreds, hundreds of journalists and writers who are imprisoned today in Turkey. So I dedicated my lecture to Ahmed. We know, I explained to the audience, how words are apt to be interpreted in different ways. It's a point of connection between the lawyer and the writer. We know, too, that that is the beauty of words, and that is their danger. The dangerous words spoken by my dear absent friend, Ahmed, caused a judge to rule that Ahmed, who was 68 years old at the time, would spend the rest of his life in prison. He has been sentenced to life imprisonment for four words spoken on a television program. We will never be pardoned, and we will die in a prison cell, Ahmed wrote in a note he smuggled out of prison, which was published in the New York Times. The day after the lecture I spent with Yasmin Congar, who runs the NGO P24, and is Ahmed's close friend. And we traveled together to the maximum security prison at Salivery, two hours by car from Istanbul. This was where Ahmet was imprisoned for the rest of his life, along with his younger brother Mehmet, who is an economist who was fired from his position as a professor at Istanbul University, where he had taught for more than 30 years. Yasemin hasn't been allowed to visit Ahmet. She gets 10 minutes on the telephone with him every two weeks. No foreigner had visited him. I was the first foreigner to be allowed inside the prison to see Ahmed, and the only reason I could do that was that I broke my golden rule, which is never act as a lawyer for your friends. I agreed to represent the Altan brothers at the European Court of Human Rights, and so I got in to see him in a huge and forbidding facility that holds 11,000 prisoners accompanied by a turkish lawyer i passed through eight security checks and was taken by a minibus to block 9 it wasn't midnight express i can tell you but i wasn't and i wasn't subjected to a full body search but i was required to have my eyes scanned and i was fully integrated into the turkish system one of the guards was actually pretty friendly and he wanted to talk about football we had a short happy and surprising conversation about Mesut Ozil, who had just signed, to my great sadness as an Arsenal fan, a shirt and given it to the president of Turkey. We discussed what it meant today to be Turkish. The guard had worked there for four years and he said to me, you are the first foreigner who has ever entered this prison. I met first Mehmet, genial and gentle, twinkly eyes, full Karl Marx beard, he was thrilled to talk in French and what he really wanted to talk about and it surprised me was not his situation, he wanted to talk about globalisation and the English Luddite movement, <laughs> he said finally I've got time to write about it, he shared a cell with two other men, and one of them was a former student of his at the university, He was very perplexed by his situation, and he was very perplexed at the prospect of spending the rest of his life in this prison cell. A life sentence, he said, is like living without a clock in endless time. Mehmet left, and I hoped to see Ahmed. I waited, and I waited, and I waited, and eventually he arrived in our glass-panelled cell. He looked incredibly fit, I said. Wait, he chortled. We spent most of our 30 minutes that we were allowed to be together roaring with laughter. No, he said, Turkey has not yet hit rock bottom. We are a nation of bungee jumpers. And just before we hit the ground, we somehow managed to bounce up again. We talked about food, politics, the quality of the grass in my garden in London, my neighbour the English magistrate who signed the arrest warrant for Senator Pinochet back in 98, and Ahmed in a prison cell just marveled at the idea of justice being dispensed by a judge who was independent. Miraculous, he said. What did he want his readers to know, I asked. Let's talk about the judge, he said, the man who sentenced him to life imprisonment, the man who had swollen eyelids. Ahmed knew I had a special interest in judges, especially those of the less independent kind. Later I'd learn that the man who sentenced Ahmed to life imprisonment for no good reason was Judge Yeltsin. Do you ever catch his eye? I inquired. Just once, Ahmed said. What did his eyes tell you? They said to me, I am the powerful one now, that is what his eyes said, and I can exercise a power that will crush you forever. We talked about the prison memoir that he was hoping to write, I Will Never See the World Again, the remarkable volume which by a miracle he managed to smuggle out of prison and which you can buy over here. It's a rite of passage, he said, for any writer, to spend time in prison. You, pointed his finger at me, will never be a real writer. (laughs) We roared with laughter. Let me just read a few words from his book, which is a chapter called The Paradox of the Writer. I am a writer. I am neither where I am nor where I am not. Wherever you lock me up, I will travel the world with the wings of my infinite mind. Besides, I have friends all around the world who help me travel, most of whom I've never met. Each eye that reads what I have written, each voice that repeats my name, holds my hand like a little cloud and flies me over the lowlands, the springs, the forests, the seas, the towns, the streets. They host me quietly in their houses, in their halls, in their rooms. I travel the whole world in this prison cell. As you may well have guessed, I possess a godly arrogance, one that is not often acknowledged, but that is unique to writers and has been handed down from one generation to the next for thousands of years. I possess a confidence that grows like a pearl within the hard shells of literature. I possess an immunity, I am protected by the steel armour of my own books. I am writing this in a prison cell, but I am not in prison. I am a writer. I am neither where I am nor where I am not. You can imprison me, but you cannot keep me here because like all writers, I have magic. I can pass through your walls with ease. Those are the words of a man who has already spent nearly a 1,000 days in prison and who will spend, as things stand, the rest of his life in prison. It really was something to spend a little time with a man who knows he is going to spend the rest of his life in prison on trumped-up charges and who was able to laugh about it. And it was something else to leave that prison cell at the slavery maximum security facility with an unexpected, extraordinary feeling of elation, motivated by the sheer towering greatness of Ahmed Altan and the human spirit. Thank you.